All right, boys and girls, it's Uncle Jimmy, and we're about to enter the rock and roll garage and do a podcast called Grease the Wheels. Why are we whispering? I don't know. <laughs> hey, I want to go on today uh, about a subject that I've gone on about a lot, but it means a lot to all of us, and or at least I think it means a lot to all of us. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're one of those communists who don't care about money, but uh, I care about money, and I know a lot of you actually do. And I think a lot of you, and this is a personal opinion of mine, I think a lot of you are underpaid for what you do. And I don't mean just the automotive industry uh, as a singular uh, point of an employment as far as technicians go anyway. Uh, I'm talking about a lot of different professions where somebody else gets the money for what you do and keeps the lion's share of it. I don't think, it, uh, I don't think it's too much to ask for uh, a little bit more. A little bit more. I'm not like Oliver Twist. I'm not going to go up, please, sir, can I have some more? That's kind of not my bit, you know. I think uh, I uh, do the job well enough that you should look at what I do and how I do it in a way and the uh, amount of money that I earn for the company and say, geez, we should pay that guy some more. And typically, in every job I've ever had, and this is no bullshit for boys and girls, in every job I've ever had, I've gotten raises. I've never had to ask for one. But being in the automotive industry for the last 17 years, I've had to ask for raises or else I wasn't going to get them. And if I didn't get them or if I didn't feel like I was going to get them or if I got like really fucking pathetic ones, which I did, uh, then I would just fucking leave. That's the whole reason for the term grease the wheels. It's like, look, if somebody doesn't realize what you're worth, if somebody doesn't realize the expertise and the intelligence and, and the tenacity that you bring to the job and they don't want to pay you, just keep working there and somebody else is willing to offer you more, which really, how is that not possible? Then you need to grease the wheels. And it's a well-known fact too, by the way. <clears throat> Let me just put this out there. It is a well-known fact that if you want to race, you need to go to another another shop, another, another shop or dealership and make them give you more money to go there. And then if you decide, you know, either you don't like it or you want more money, you may have to even end up at a whole nother shop. If you're in a big city, such as, uh, you know, maybe the New York metropolitan area or in D.C. or L.A. or or even any one of these other cities where there's more than one or two or three dealerships of the brand that you work for, or perhaps there's, and there probably is, hundreds of independents all around, you can certainly name your price if you know what you're up to. You can name your price. You know, you, you go in and you talk to somebody and, you, you know, they say, well, you know, we really hate to have you come work for us because we don't have any technicians and we need somebody who has skill and talent and experience like you do and we're willing to pay X amount of dollars. And you just look at them and go, fuck that. I'm making that where I'm at now. Why would I leave? You know, it's like you got to come up with at least three to four to five dollars more an hour or else I'm not coming. And then they either decide they want to do that or they don't want to do that and a lot of times to be honest with you they probably won't do that because they all get together and i nobody's going to be able to convince me that i'm not right about this one okay i'm not a real big conspiracy theorist but this is one that's not really too tough to believe is that they all get together somehow or another at some point in time and unofficially through a verbal agreement agree to keep our wages at a certain point at a certain place, you know, and you know, when you're getting close to it, we've talked about it before, you know, when you're getting close to it, when your raises become a matter of quarters, you know, you're going to get 50 cents more. You're going to get 25 cents more. It's like, whoa, I must be right at the fucking ceiling, you know, whatever it was that these assholes all got together and decided that my wage should be regardless of whatever else is going on, you know, because 
there's a lot of people I've met who have tremendous amounts of skills and they don't make any more money than I do. And believe me, you know, if I, I, I mean, I've got technicians in the shop I work in now that are better than I am who make less than I do or probably the same as I do. And I believe personally they should be making more. And what they've done, and, and I've gone on about this a lot, but I'm going to go on it about some more and I'm going to offer a solution. Okay. Because that's one of the things that I've advocated on this podcast is if you have a problem, offer up the fucking solution right along with it when you complain about that problem. Okay. You know, I mean, even if it's simple, it's like, look, the guy next to me annoys the shit out of me. He throws his garbage in my, in my base and he, he steals my tools and, uh, you know, he's just, just a general slob and he's an asshole and he hasn't got anything nice to say about anybody. And, and your service manager will look at you and go, so what do you want me to do? Well, you could say, listen, why don't you just move me to a different part of the shop if, you're, if your shop is big enough? If it's not big enough, maybe you could have a word with this guy and say, listen, stop pissing this other guy off or he's going to shoot you in the fucking head. Look, if you have a problem, come up with a solution and come up with a reasonable legal style solution. Uh, one of the problems that our bosses have and it doesn't really even matter who your boss is, whether it's your service manager, your general manager, the uh, board of directors of the corporation that you work for, or if it's the owner of the shop. Uh, one of the problems they all have is finding qualified help. And you want to know something? I have absolutely not one fucking iota of sympathy for these motherfuckers because they are the ones that created the fucking problem. They created the problem, okay? They have kept the wages down, but yet everything else in the world has gone up. Their labor rates go up, but the tech wages go up. No, no, they don't. They don't go up. They, they've stagnated as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, well, maybe they've gone up a little bit, right? My wages have gone up, but only because I move around. You know, I go from one area to another. Shit, if I was still back in New York, I would probably be making somewhere in the fucking mid-20s for a wage. But I'm not in New York anymore. I got the fuck out of there. And now I'm way better off because my wages are in the mid 30s. And oh, by the way, no longer have a state income tax. But the uh, the dealerships and the shops, they have created the problem, the shortage. They have, what I say is they've painted themselves into a corner by not paying uh, a reasonable wage for all of the bullshit that we have to put up with, for all the things that we need to know, for all the things that we have to do. They have not really paid a reasonable wage, not a long, long time. See, sometime around 1980, Automobiles got computers, and from there, uh, they became, and believe me, early on, and trust me, I'm an old guy, I know this, early on, fixing those fucking cars with those early computers, and I'm talking up to about 1998, to be honest with you, so about 20 years worth of cars, fixing them electrically was a fucking shit show, okay? Seems simple now in retrospect, but at the time, a lot of us didn't have the, and I say a lot of us, I mean, I was working on that on my cars and other stuff at the time as an amateur. And some of that stuff was just ridiculous, was just ridiculous. And it's really separated the wheat from the chaff. I mean, you either knew what you were doing or you didn't. And there was no in between. There was no in between. You knew how electrical components worked or you didn't. And if you didn't, you got the fuck out of the business or you went and worked at a fucking shop where they did nothing but brakes and tires. You weren't going to figure out why this solenoid is staying on all night long and killing the battery. You weren't going to figure that out. You were never going to be able to figure it. You were never going to be able to figure that out. Only somebody who has electrical skills, right? Okay, so around 1980, the job of an automotive mechanic, an automotive technician changed dramatically, but the wages did not. 
And you know why that is? It's because they didn't have to. They didn't have to. They had all these people who were doing the job when the pay was reasonable and it got tougher, but they didn't complain too much or maybe they got a little bit of a raise, but now all of those motherfuckers are gone. They're all gone. And being happy with a particular wage that they were paid in those days is also gone. And now being familiar with what we have to know now, the training that we have to have now, and the complexity of the vehicles that are rolling off the assembly lines now, with all of that factored in, our wages have not kept pace with what we need to be able to do, what we need to know. They have not kept pace. And consequently, people are not getting into this field. They're not doing it. And the people who are in this field are getting the fuck out. And this is where you have painted yourself into a corner as far as a dealership or a manufacturer or, or an independent repair shop is. You have painted yourself into a corner. You didn't want to pay. You didn't want to pay. You didn't want to pay. And guess what? The pay wasn't good enough for what the job entails. And so people just said, I'm not going to do it. And more and more and more people are not going to do it. And eventually nobody's going to do it if it keeps up. Now I have the solution here. That was the complaint. The complaint is you don't pay, you don't pay enough. And you're complaining that there's nobody out there. There's no technicians out there. Hell, I, I've seen people go, you know, you can come here and have a job anytime you want. You know, with the skills and, and, and the experience that you have, you can just roll in the door and start working tomorrow and, and we'll just hire you. You know, I mean, it's just nothing. There's no there's no interview needed. I mean, obviously you've been doing the job, right? I mean, that's that's the, the basic overall uh, gist of everything that I've gotten so far from other employers that I'm not working for yet is that they just need help so bad that if you come in and you, you say that you know how to, you know, you can prove to them, obviously, but you can you say to them, I, you know, I'm a master tech in this particular brand and I've had this much experience and this much training and they just look at you there, they glaze over and they go, you want to work here? Uh, yeah, that would be great. When can you start? There's no, I mean, I could be the worst serial killer in the world and they would never know because they, their need is so great that they're not even going to do a background check. They're not going to do, you know, some places will. Obviously, they need to they need to vet you. They should. If they're smart, they, they would, you know, because I could be a serial killer. You know, the next thing you know, there's nobody working that dealership because I murdered them all and threw them in a hole and out back. And, and uh, boy, it took an ugly turn, didn't it? This, that escalated quickly. But... <laughs> But really, seriously, the skilled people out there, such as myself and you, a lot of you are uh, skilled and experienced. There's so there's so few of us out there. The shops and the dealerships are suffering. They're suffering. They won't tell you that. You know, what they're doing is to cover it all up, to, to kind of uh, smooth it all out, is that they're hiring really pretty much just anybody. And I've seen this. And this is, this is what makes... This is really honest to God. Uh, and we talk about it all the time with some of the technicians I work with. Is This is what makes working at the dealer or working at a shop this is what makes it a complete shit show okay uh you you're, you're gonna get people in there who haven't got the fuck the slightest fucking clue how something works and yet they're there they are working on it so the quality of the work is terrible the uh ability to fix the car right the first time is gone it's just gone they, they can't do it you know, they have to do it wrong first, then they, they go back and try to fix it and they do it wrong again. And then the third time somebody else gets it who knows what they're doing and then they fix it. And this is something that the dealerships and the shops are doing. They're shoving all kinds of problems into one door and then out the door come a myriad of corrections, a myriad, some good, some bad, some unknown, unknown really what condition they are. What you have done is diluted the quality 
of the repairs out of your shop by hiring people who should not be working in a shop. But you're trying to cover up the fact that you don't pay shit and that you pay yourself into a corner. Nobody wants to do this job. That's what you're. That's what you're doing. Is you're actually uh, putting up with poor quality work. You're putting up with it. You're 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 fostering it really. And to sit there and tell somebody that oh you know our shop does quality work when you know goddamn well they don't because you've had to hire uh, booger eating morons for technicians, uh, guys who can't fix a sandwich. You know you have a shop is half full of these guys. You know the shop I'm in. I wouldn't really say that that's the truth. We have a lot of new guys. They're coming along. They're coming along slowly. Some of them have good attitudes. Some of them have bad attitudes. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. And they're going to be the ones that are left over when the rest of us all exit the field, whether we die or we retire or we get a different kind of a job or just go to another shop. What you're going to be left with is the mediocre technicians. And that's exactly what you deserve because of the rate of pay that you feel is fair, which is not. It's fucking plain and simple, not fair. Okay, now I said there's gonna be a solution. Here it comes, okay? And it comes courtesy of a very intelligent and skilled 19th century thinker. Yeah, 19th century. This guy is straight out of the 1800s, boys and girls, okay? Now there was two guys that we're gonna talk about here real quickly, uh, just to kind of give you a history. And it's killer that the, you know, one of the famous things they say about history is that if you don't learn from it, you're doomed to repeat it. And that's exactly, exactly what the fuck is going on in our field right now, okay? The first guy I wanna talk about is a guy named Olds, Ransom Olds. And I don't wanna go into how, why I know about him or why I care about him at all. But I'm just gonna say, he was the first one to produce an automobile in the United States of America. He was beaten by the, the gentleman named Benz in Germany by a couple of years. But in America, he was the first guy incorporated the Olds Motor Works in, in uh, 1897. I know that because I went to the 100th anniversary show they had. It was great. Anyway, I digress completely, but quickly, and I'm back on track here. He invented, okay, one of the things that Mr. Olds, Ransom Olds invented was the assembly line. He invent, He is the actual inventor of the assembly line. And let me tell you something. This is what has turned the 20th century, which is come and gone by now, it's what turned the 20th century into to the marvelous consumer paradise that it is and or was, depending on how you look at it. He's the one who invented it, okay? Because the assembly line made everything, and I do mean everything possible, everything, from uh, automobiles to boats to planes to televisions and, and stoves and refrigerators, everything. Everything that we have, that we buy, that we put in our house, is due to the fact that it could be built on an assembly line, everything. And it's one of the reasons, because we got really fucking good at it, it's one of the reasons that we were able to win World War II, and not on our own, by the way, let me just make that clear, okay? We were able to supply all the other nations on this planet that were fighting the Germans and the Japanese with enough weapons and bombs and guns and tanks and planes and boats and, and everything else you need to kick the shit out of somebody else. We were able to supply them in such record numbers that there was almost no way we could lose. I mean, we just overwhelmed everyone with our vast production superiority. So the assembly line changed the way everything works. Okay, so along comes a guy named Ford 
And Ford comes along and he says, well, he says, you know, he talked to Ransom Olds because Olds was called, he was considered the schoolmaster of the automotive industry back in the early days. He, he, knew, he knew the ins and outs. He invented the ins and outs for fuck's sake. He said to Ford, he said, yeah, you know, we build on an assembly line. And he said, how does that work? He says, well, you know, I line up the cars and then I have the worker go from one car to the other and then the other. And he does the same thing on each car. And he goes, okay. And he goes, it's pretty efficient. And he goes, okay. But then Ford went home and thought about it. He goes, well, wait a minute. What if I fucking move the car instead of the worker? The worker gets to sit down. He doesn't have to get up. He doesn't have to move around. The car comes to him. He does whatever he does to it. Boom, boom. Okay, great. And it was great. Honestly, the moving automotive assembly line, which we, we owe the actual tweaking of the concept to Henry Ford. We owe him that. That was his idea. And it helped him take the Model T, which was his greatest triumph, really. I mean, you know, he's had other triumphs and the Ford Motor Company's had dozens and multiple dozens of, of absolute triumphs and uh, and some pitfalls too, by the way. But uh, for the most part, the, the Model T was their initial uh, magnum opus. It was their ultimate triumph. And it was because of the uh, assembly line. They were able to take a car that took them, you know, nine and a half to 10 to 12 hours to build every day to 93 minutes. They were able to build a car every 93 minutes. And I mean, that's astounding. I mean, that's cutting the time, not in half, not even, not even, you know, it was cutting the time, you know, it went from an hour and a half to build an entire car from nothing, from 12 to 10, to 10, 12 hours. And so suddenly the automobile became much less expensive to build and therefore much less expensive to sell and much less expensive for people to own. And people bought the fucking crap out of those things. I think he built something like 20 or 25 million of them. I mean, really literally held a record until the Volkswagen Beetle beat it back in, I think the seventies is finally when it beat it. But, and the Beetle had been built since 19, well, basically since 1936 really. But, uh, you know, the Beetle, the Beetle was in production for a lot longer, but it got the record. But Henry Ford had a problem. He had a problem. He built a huge factory. He built an assembly line. He put it all together so that people could build these cars really, really quickly for him. And he had two major problems. Number one, working on an assembly line is the absolute number one most monotonous job ever. And it drove people crazy. It drove people nuts. I mean, how could you go in and work nine hours a day putting a screw into a flywheel or bolting a wheel onto a car or, you know, any any one of a million operations that had to occur to build a car? How could you do that for nine fucking hours a day? You couldn't. You couldn't do it. After 20 minutes, you're like, what the fuck? This sucks. After 30, 40, 50 minutes, you're like, what the fuck? This really sucks. By the end of nine hours, like this fucking really, really sucks. And so the problem you had was, is that people did not show up for work. They're like, uh, they would wake up in the morning, they're just like you and me, and like, man, I just can't thread another bolt into another flywheel. I will fucking absolutely lose my mind. And so people would call in sick. People would call in sick all the time. He needed, at his factory in Detroit, where he built the Model T, he needed 14,000 workers every day but he had to carry a workforce of 50,000 plus people every day so that he would have 14,000 people because that many people would call in sick. It was out of control. It was out of control. And so he sat down 
with his vice president. He said, how do we fix this problem? He goes, because every time I have to hire somebody new, I have to train them and I lose money training people. And then I have to you know, have them work on the line and figure out how to do the job. And that takes a couple of days to figure out how to do it right. And then after that, I might get, the, I might get some production out of them, you know, and it's costing them money. And at the time, obviously prices and wages and everything has gone up since the turn of the century. We're talking about 1914 after all. Uh, back then, a, a, a low but livable wage was $2.30 a day. That was a low but livable wage, okay? And at the time, it was the going wage for working in an automobile assembly plant because there were Chevrolets back then, there were Oldsmobiles, there was uh, Cadillacs, there was Buicks, there were Fords, there were Chryslers, there were, you know, there was a lot of different car companies making cars, mostly in Michigan, and they were all paying right around $2, $2.30 per day to build the cars. Kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Now I understand that. But that was the going rate then. And and all of them were having the same problem where the, the work that they had to do was just mind-numbingly boring. Just completely and totally. It was just insanely monotonous and, and to the point where you couldn't you couldn't do it. You couldn't you couldn't keep doing it or you didn't want to anyway. You wanted the money, you you wanted the job, you wanted to be able to do it, but you couldn't do it. It just it just drove you fucking crazy. Ask anybody who's worked on any kind of, of production line, they'll tell you. Uh, there's, there, and there's things that you, and, and it's well known too, there's things that you do to try to break up the monotony that are, uh, I would say not copacetic. They're against the company rules. Uh, and, and I've seen a few of these examples where people will, write obscene things on the inside of door panels and stuff where nobody's really going to see it, you know, and then you, you know, you're popping the door panels on. So you write, fuck you, buddy on it. And you pop the door panel on. Nobody ever sees it. And we even have our own version of it. Uh, we like to draw things and scribble things on oil filters in the bottoms of cars. I've, I've, I've done it. <laughs> I drew up, I, I drew a picture. Of, I, I don't know. I had a, a song running through my head. I think it was Black Sabbath was uh, Godzilla or something like. That. I don't even know the name of the song to be honest. I was, but it was running through my brain one day, and I was doing an oil change on a Nissan, and I just wrote on the oil filter, "Oh no, Godzilla!" And I drew a little picture of Godzilla, and I screwed the oil filter on, and, and completely forgot that I did it. And when that guy came back for an oil change, I had left that particular shop, and the owner. <laughs> texted me a picture of this oil filter and he said, did you do this? And I looked at it and I went, geez, I don't remember doing that, but that's my handwriting. <laughs> I didn't remember doing it. But uh, later on I did go, oh yeah, you know what? I did do that. <laughs> I mean, it was innocuous, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't obscene or anything. It was just funny. He laughed his ass off, but, and I know a lot of you guys like to do that. You like to write little notes on the uh, spin on filters. And I think it's funny, but uh, assembly line workers would do sort of the same thing. You know, they would, they would, be eating a candy bar and they'd be done with it. They would just throw the wrapper inside the door, maybe take a handful of screws and throw them in there with the door and, you know, write, write things on the bottoms of seats or something like that. But anything to break up the monotony. But anyway, uh, I digress completely and I apologize once again. But you know your Uncle Jimmy's like this, you know, he goes off on a rant or he goes off on a ramble. Anyway, to get back on topic here, Mr. Ford had a problem along with all the other manufacturers of people just not showing up and it was costing him a lot of money in lost production and lost time training and, and, and he, couldn't, he couldn't handle it anymore. He couldn't handle it anymore. So what he did was, and he famously did this in April of 1914, he decided that he was going to pay the workers at his factory $5 a day 
$5 a day to come to Ford and work on the Ford assembly line, $5 a day for everybody across the board, even the people. And this is remarkable because most shops won't do this now. Most dealerships and shops won't do this now. But he decided that he would pay all the guys who still work for him $5 a day. He didn't just ignore them and go, oh, fuck you, I already have you working for me for whatever wage. I'm not gonna give you a raise. You know, those people would have just quit and reapplied, you know. It happens to us, you know, you get a, you get a, uh, you get a new guy in a shop and, and he makes more than you, but he's not as good as you. Maybe he even sucks. Maybe he's even terrible, but he's making more than you because there's a tech shortage and they already have you. So they're not going to give you a raise, you know, but no Ford went back and made it retro for everybody there. But, uh, it, when you look at it under the white hot spotlight, okay, there was a few things that came out about this wage. Number one, it was not $5 a day. It was still $2.30 a day, but $2.70 a day bonus. But you had to earn the bonus. You had to earn the bonus. And because there was an enormous amount of immigrants in the area at the time, one of the things you had to do was prove that A, you lived in Detroit. You couldn't commute from wherever else. I don't, I don't know why that was a problem, but it, apparently it was. You had to live in Detroit for six months and you also had to attend uh, classes where you were taught English, proper English. You had to become Americanized was the terminology that they used at the time. And then once you completed all of these programs where you were completely indoctrinated into Ford's idea of what an American should be, then you were able to get that $2.70 an hour uh, bonus on top of your $2.30 day wage. Now, there were some good points and some bad points about it. One of the bad points is that obviously they were controlling your life in a way uh, that uh, no one today would allow. Not you, not me, not anybody. They would come to your house. They would make sure that you were not an alcoholic. They would make sure that you don't beat your family. They would make sure you didn't have borders in your house. There was a lot of stipulations to this bonus. And a lot of them that would be considered completely unfair now and that the uh, American Civil Liberties Union would fucking jump up and down and go, no fucking way can you do that, you know? Um, and, and it really wasn't cool, you know? I don't think so. I mean, to me, if my boss wants to come to my house and see how I live and see if I mistreat my dog or my wife or if I've got a border, I don't think it's any of his fucking business. Uh, I think I should be paid for what I do and I should be paid fairly for what I do and eh, I'm kind of not really. I think I'm pay underpaid somewhat. It's not as drastic as some of you out there, though. So that's why I crusade like a motherfucker for you. I do. I crusade like a bitch. And whenever I get a chance to rip my boss a new one about the wages that he pays us, you know, if he gives me an opportunity, I almost never let up on him. I almost never let up on him. And the poor guy doesn't deserve it because he's not the one who determines what the wages are. He doesn't deserve it. But he's the guy. He's the fucking point guy. He, you know, the, the business has all kinds of people that I could go talk to, but I would have to go talk to them. This is the guy who comes and talks to me every once in a while, you know? So when he uh, <clears throat> comes out and he says, oh, this technician over here couldn't fix this car, right? So I need you to look at it. And I say, oh, you're getting what you pay for, aren't you? And it's just a little dig, but it cuts right to the bone. You're getting what you pay for. You got a new guy and you're not paying him much and you don't like his work. Guess what? You're getting exactly what you pay for, okay? So... Ford came along and he decided that he was going to give everybody $5 a day. It was a big, big, big fucking deal. And it would be equivalent. Somebody said, because I researched this, believe it or not. Yes, your Uncle Jimmy researched something. It's unbelievable, right? It would be the equivalent of making $120 a day today, which is a lot, really. I mean, you know, you get the end of the week and uh, that's what, uh, $600, $700? Okay. And that's just for assembly line work, really. I, not bad. 
if you have more skill, obviously you would make more money. Well, you would think so. Hasn't worked out for us that much, but uh, anyway, it was a big, big, biggity, big, big deal for them back then. And it, caught, it created a problem. It created a problem. There were people who came from literally fucking everywhere to Detroit and they used to camp out on the street in front of the fucking factory so they could get in and apply for the jobs. There were lines. There were, I mean, I, there was a picture of some of the, the throng of people at the Ford factory trying to get in to apply for these jobs. It was that much of a uh, honest to God, humongous. I mean, it was doubling the pay, basically. It was basically doubling the pay. And so uh, probably a lot of other manufacturers lost employees to go work at Ford. So this solved the problem for him. He now suddenly had a more well-motivated workforce and he had plenty of them and he could sort them out. I mean, if you have, if you need 14,000 people and 140,000 people apply, you can pick the top 10% and there you are. There you are. You have the top 10% of 140,000 people. You would think that you would have the best employees available. You know, maybe they had special skills. Maybe they didn't have special skills. Maybe they were just had good attitudes. Holy shit. What a fucking concept that would be, huh? Maybe they just said, I promise to show up to work every day. I have family I have to feed. Because a lot of them were immigrants, right? Some of them were from, you know, everywhere, basically, you know, everywhere. I mean, we what would, what does the Statue of Liberty say? Wretched refuse? You know, send them to us. Fuck it. We'll put them to work in a Ford factory. We don't care. We'll pay them five bucks a day for Christ's sakes, you know? And you know what ended up happening was that uh, all the other companies in Detroit had to start paying more money. The uh, city of Detroit saw a wealth redistribution, and and actually it was considered the day, and I mean it's a day, April 14th, April 12th, excuse me, April 12th, 1914. That's not the day the Titanic sank. The Titanic sank two years earlier, on the, I think on the same day, actually. But that was the day that the middle class in America was invented. And the middle class is sort of a very comfortable uh, way station for poor people on their way to being rich. It's like, look, you're poor, you don't work, you don't have any money, now you get a job, you work, you have money, now you're part of the middle class, life is good. Life is good, and life got a lot better April 12th, 1914, when he came out with this $5 a day wage and invented, literally invented the middle class because these people were just scraping by at $2.30 a day. They were scraping by. They had enough money to buy food and clothes and maybe shelter, and but that was it. And now suddenly they could afford better things and more things. And actually one of the byproducts was, and some people say, oh, well, he raised, he raised everybody's wages so they could buy his cars. Well, no, actually he didn't do that. He did that because he needed workers. He needed people to show up to work. And that was the solution for that. But a part of the byproduct, which was good, was that now his employees could afford to buy the products that they make. So he, he created the middle class. He created 14,000, maybe even more customers for his car. And, uh, you know, it doesn't amateurize that if they all bought a new Ford at the regular MSRP asking price of $495 and were able to make the payments to pay for it, it really wouldn't have increased his coffers that much compared to the, when you consider that's 14,000 and he sold 200,000 of his vehicles. It's a, it's a bump, yeah, but it's, it would only represent like 7, 7%. A lot, of own, a lot of people that did work at the factory did buy cars, so there was an increase. And it wasn't nothing, but it just wasn't that huge. I mean, the demand for the vehicle, because of its price point and the fact that it was pretty easy to fix 
and it did it did what it was supposed to do and you knew that you could you could buy a new one if that one broke down or you could get that one fixed or you could even fix it yourself maybe that was a pretty good thing that was, that was a real good thing the uh the model t was uh definitely a trendsetter it uh it caused a lot of people to do a lot of things different including the whole wage livable wage thing now Let's update this policy to today, okay? Now, shops and dealerships are having trouble finding good technicians. Yes, agreed. Does anybody out there want to be a technician? No, why? Because the pay fucking sucks. It sucks. I mean, if you look at the job from any one of our point of view, it's not a job that you would want somebody you love to have, is it? I don't think it is. I mean, honestly... You get treated like crap by management. You get treated like crap by customers. You get treated like crap by service advisors. You maybe even get treated like crap by other technicians. You're expected to to know all this stuff. You're expected to know a real lot to fix these cars these days. You're you're, you're expected to show up on time. You're expected to, to, to work until you're finished. You're expected to fix everything right. You're expected to have your own fucking tools. Hello. That's a big fucking deal. Who else has to spend that kind of money just to go to work for somebody else? Not a lot of people I know. I hear teachers complaining. I had to buy crayons for all the kids. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you have a monthly, do you have a weekly snap-on bill for those crayons? Then shut your fucking face. What the fuck? That's bullshit. Crayons? What do the fucking crayons cost? Seriously, nobody gets it. That's the thing. Nobody gets it. The other part is that there's, there's a physical component to working on a car. I mean, what's a transmission weigh? Anywhere from 70 to 170 to 270 fucking pounds. And you got to wrestle these fucking things in and out sometimes. And sometimes you have a jack. Maybe it doesn't work right. Or maybe you're the jack. I've seen that before. People pull them out with their hands and put them on the floor. Fuck. They're lucky that their spine's still in one fucking piece. Same with engines. They can weigh anywhere from two, three, four hundred pounds up to a thousand fucking pounds. I've seen it. You heavy duty guys. I don't know how the fuck you even do it. Some of the shit you guys have to fuck with weighs tons, for fuck's sake. You don't mess around and try to pick that up with your hands. And if you do, you use your fucking legs, not your back, right? It's a physical fucking job on top of all of that horseshit. So if you wanted to attract people to that job with all of the down, with all the pitfalls to it, with all the downside to it, you could take a fucking hint from Mr. Henry Ford and make the wages so desirable that people would actually want to do it. Hello, what a fucking concept! Imagine if your job, let's let's just take it, because the median, I, I did research this too as well, the median income for an automotive technician these days in the United States of America, I don't know where it, what it is where you live, if you live not here, the median average yearly salary, let's put it that way, uh, for a technician in the United States of America is $67,000. You know, in some parts of this country, you 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 can't buy shit with that. You're not going to be able to get a mortgage to buy a house. You're not going to be able to buy a new car. You're not going to make enough money for that. If you if you unfortunately have a wife, a family of any kind, maybe one, two, three children, you make sixty thousand dollars a year. You are just about fucking poor. You're broke, and you're working your ass off probably to make that sixty-seven thousand dollars. And the other part of that is is that that's the median which means that for every some bitch like me who makes more than that, there's a some bitch who makes less than that. 
I'm not some fucking talking head who works at some fucking consulting company somewhere, sits in a cubicle with a shirt and a tie on going, I wonder why there are no technicians out there. I can fucking tell you why, stupid. It's the money. It's always been the money. It has always been the money. Take a lesson from a guy who died in 1946 and who revolutionized the fucking world a little over 100 fucking years ago, okay? He couldn't get people to do what he wanted them to do, so he made the wage desirable for people to do the fucking job. Hello, wake up and smell the coffee. History has the fucking answer for you. If you don't pay attention to history, you're doomed to repeat it. There it is. It's in fucking black and motherfucking white. You can look it up on the internet. You can read about it. You can see the effects that it had. Do you think that if one dealership out there, or one manufacturer, or one fucking shop said, we're going to pay a very, very, very generous wage for what you do, and maybe even make you salary, do you think that a lot of us who've been doing this for fucking a pittance somewhere else would flock to that place? Fuck yeah, we would. Fuck yeah. I think that the the wage should be anywhere from a hundred to $130,000 a year. Okay, now at $100,000 a year, you can afford to buy things. You can afford to buy things. Why can't a technician make that much? The shop certainly makes that much. I mean, for fuck's sake, whatever rate of pay you're making now, go take your, go take your shop's labor rate. Okay, now I'll use my, my own labor rate. Our shop charges for customer pay $155 an hour. It charges for warranty $135 an hour. Okay, so in the middle is 145. It doesn't take, you don't need to be a math genius to figure that out. So we'll use $145 an hour. If Let's just pick a wage. I don't want to pick my own wage, but we'll just pick a wage. Let's just say, call it $30 an hour. How much of that, how much are you making? I'm going to fucking, I'm going to get the calculator out, Eric. Bear with me here, okay? I'm going to fucking look this up. So I figured it out. You got $145 an hour that your company makes off of you. You make $30 an hour. And I know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of you probably don't even make that much. But at $30 an hour, that represents 21%. 21%. So that means for every, roughly, for every $20 that you earn, your company earns 80 uh, I don't know why it has to be so low. I think that's, obviously, I think that's low, uh, you know, especially seeing as how you actually, as the producer of the commodity, why you would be paid uh, that little. And and that seems to be really, uh, I've, called it, I've called it this before, it's like a ceiling. You can't get much past that, really. It's very difficult to get past that. They get more and more stingy as you get farther and farther past that or, or closer to their ceiling. You know, they have, each each company has a different wage that they have set in stone. And, and the problem is that a lot of dealerships are all owned by the same people. I mean, there's probably about 10, maybe, maybe less than 20 anyway, companies out there that own many, many multiple dealerships. And so they have one guy or one, one person on a board of directors or one head of accounting somewhere who's saying, we're not gonna pay more than this, you know? And it's, it's short-sighted, and it always has been short-sighted. And all you have to do is look to Mr. Henry Ford and say, hey, guess what? We would not have a problem putting technicians into the bays that we have and getting the work that we want done done if we would just stop being a bunch of cheap cocksuckers. If we would say, okay, we make 20% off them now. What if we moved it up to 30%? Well, let's do some math, okay? So let's say your labor rate's... $145 an hour and you move it up to 30% that you are willing to come off of as a cheap 
fucking money grubbing fucking corporation of fucking automotive industry running motherfuckers. That would equal $43 an hour for a technician. Now, when you start to talk about technician wages that are moving into the 40s, okay? And I believe uh, in my heart, and I believe it to be true, that we're worth that, okay? And that we're talking about 30%, okay? So you take, you take the money that you make and you divide it into three pieces and you get to keep two of them. You got to keep two of them and you give me the third, okay? Now here's the other part of that, okay? Now in Ford's case, he decided he was gonna pay his employees $5 a day, $2.70 of that a day, which was a lot of money then. I can't reiterate that enough. It was a lot of money, okay? I mean, things cost pennies. Things that you needed to buy every day cost pennies. You want a pound of sugar? It was five cents, okay? So $2.70 a day more was worth a lot to you. And, and that exponentially is the same thing that's going on with us and our business, okay? Now, obviously, the skill and the experience are all different, okay? So there has to be a range there, which they didn't, weren't doing that. Everybody got $5 a day at the Ford factory, but everybody was doing is absolutely completely mundane and, and monotonous jobs. But our business is a little bit different and it doesn't fit perfectly into our business, okay? But the basic overall concept does, okay? What we're trying to do is fix cars, some of us are better at it than others. There needs to be a pay scale, obviously. And if somebody's willing to come in and start for $2.70 a day to fix cars today, I would take them up on that. And then I would wonder why. And then maybe I would probably find out later that you get what you pay for, okay? And that's part of the thing. That's part of what I'm trying to tell you about right here. If you pay more, you can certainly demand more from your employees. Say you paid someone who's experienced and trained and and is diligent at the job like your uncle jimmy is now obviously i'm not the best i've said that before i'm not trying to blow my own horn here but i'm pretty good at what i do and i i'd like to think of myself as a model employee except for little digs i like to make at my service manager but he he deserves them he, he definitely deserves them and he also handles them with the uh with the uh casual aplomb of somebody who doesn't give a fuck but anyway uh somebody like me could probably earn somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 to $120,000 a year without any trouble if they use that 30% instead of the 20% rule. Now, they may say to themselves, well, geez, you know, that doesn't leave us a lot of room for error. What kind of fucking error are you talking about here? You're just talking about gross profit, gross profit. Now, if you're having a problem with net profit not actually equaling up to what you need, you have to look at other fucking resources. You have to look at other things that are causing the net profit to be low. But as far as the gross profit goes, that's just fucking fine, okay? I turn an hour, I get $30 an hour, you get 145 roughly, okay? It's both both these figures are roughly. Uh, to me, that's, that's 20% all day long, 21% exactly. If that's not enough, then you got fucking bigger fucking problems than just technician shortage, than just a technician shortage. You have bigger problems. You have problems with with uh, your operating uh, uh, fund, your operating costs. You have problems with other employees costing too much. Other employees who do don't do what they're supposed to do. Other employees who are not efficient. If you can't make a profit, net profit from the profit that I generate from you, gross wise, by paying me twenty percent then you got problems. Your, account, your accounting people are not, they're not coming through. Now I am asking for a little bit more, but I, I say this 
knowing that if I ask you for more, you could certainly ask me for more. If I don't have some of the training that I should have to be a technician in your building and you want to pay me $120 a year, I would gladly go get it. I would gladly get the training that I need to be that kind of a capable technician for you. I would gladly get it. Do you want me to show up on time? Sure, I could do that. I don't do that now, but I could do that. Am I going to come through for you when you need somebody? Is, is, am I going to be reliable? Fuck yeah, for buck 20 a year, I would be the most reliable motherfucker ever. You're going to get a better quality of employee. And also, too, you can demand more of them. And, and okay, if you decided, if you were the one dealership in the country that decided, I'm going to pay my technicians this kind of a salary, I'm going to pay my technicians this kind of salary, they're going to show up on time, they're going to come in clean, they're going to come in clean shaven, they're going to be wearing their uniforms, they're going to be doing the job right, right from the start, they're going to do everything correctly all the time. I think that's a fair trade. You're not getting that now. You're getting, you're getting uh, fucking scrubs. They say they can fix the cars, they come in and they can't. My favorite thing is I've got a technician I work with now. He wants to do nothing but heavy work, you know, engines and trannies. There's not enough of that. You know, he says, well, I should be doing more Diag. And then he, then he'll, he freely admits he doesn't know anything about electrical. He doesn't know, how, you know, how to work a multimeter. It's like, what? You want to be a Diag guy, but you don't even know how a multimeter works? You could sort this shit out. If you're going to pay top dollar, you should have top talent. But as it is, if anybody from the, Fix stops management side of things is listening, which they, they don't. They're not going to listen to this. They don't listen to you in person. Why the fuck would they fire this podcast up and listen to it? If, but if they are, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? You are getting what you pay for. You, you have technicians who are performing poor quality work on customers' cars, and then when they find out and they come back and they have problems, you're, you're just icing it all over. You know, you do whatever you can to make them happy, and maybe it doesn't happen all the time, but it's not, it's not a way to run a business. That's no way to be. You have to be able to, to have reliable, competent technicians instead of what you have now. And if you have good technicians who aren't very capable right now, and I don't want to say they're all incompetent, maybe they're just not competent enough, you can make them competent. Just say, you know what? We're going to pay you this, but you can get to this. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. You know how you get to the end of the tunnel? Training, experience. Also, too, you have to have a proven track record. I mean, experience is one thing. I mean, you could be an experienced automotive mechanic, but you break every fucking thing you touch. You still have experience, right? No, we're talking about good experience, okay? So listen up, boys and girls. Henry Ford had the right idea, and it was over 100 years ago. You know what? Nobody else has had that right idea since when it comes to our wages. So uh, if anybody can appeal to somebody uh, in upper management to maybe take a look at this issue and then correct it the way Henry Ford did, which, by the way, worked fabulously for him, then... uh, Maybe consider doing it for us. What do you think? Because I know that if one of you does it and the rest of us vacate all the other buildings in the country to come work for your company, then you're going to be the one who wins and everybody else is going to be the one who loses. All right, so this is your Uncle Jimmy signing off saying see ya.